is going to be dismissed at this time. And uh, and we're going to get into the word of the Lord here, our teens and adults, and try to continue working our way through Mark chapter 4, at least for a little while yet. And uh, still have a few things that like we need to cover in this chapter before we move on. Praise God. Mark chapter 10 has been our text for this series of study, and we're going to go back there again today. I do want to tell you that, uh, as you can tell, uh, I guess it's the change in weather. I don't know, something has has affected my voice, and uh, I wish this global warming would make up its mind if it wants to warm the globe or cool it down. And uh, but anyhow, 40 degrees one day and 80 the next, and but that's Kansas. And uh, anyhow, it is what it is. But with my voice being like it is, and Brother Thompson still out of town. I really knew it was going to be extremely difficult for me to try to do two services, and uh, so Brother Mark Cowan is going to come over and preach for us tonight. Brother Cowan is now working with Elder Dudley in Junction City, and uh, he is overseeing his school, and he uh, he's preached in this church before. Uh, he received the Holy Ghost under Brother Riley many, many years ago and then spent a number of years working under Bishop Johnson in Colorado Springs and evangelized for several years, pastored for several years, and uh, he is a tremendous, tremendous preacher and really knows how to walk in the Holy Ghost. And so I'm looking forward to having him and his family with us tonight. Uh, Elder Dudley was gracious enough to allow the Cowans to come and be with us tonight, and so I am really, really looking forward to that. Praise God. Amen. Mark chapter 10 and verse 42 is where we begin. Mark chapter 10 and verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship upon them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Praise God. Amen. And this, as I have said, really sums up the message of the book of Mark. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, that is, the humanity of Christ, did not come to be served, but he came in human flesh that he might serve others and give his life a ransom for many. And he did that not only to save us, but to give us an example 
of what our outlook in life really ought to be. Amen. It ought to be one of servitude. That really ought to be the way that we look at ourselves. We are here to serve others. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And so uh, we are going back to the book of Mark again today. Let's put our Bibles down. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's open our hearts. Let's lift our hands. Let's talk to the Lord for a few moments here today. Let's ask him to help us. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place today. Let's everybody talk to the Lord together right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let's worship him one more time before you're seated right now, everybody. Give God the praise that he deserves. Give him the praise that he deserves. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. For time's sake this morning, I'm going to forego... Uh, the general review of this book and rather just bring you up to speed with where we are. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, get them open, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. This is uh, where we left off in our last lesson and we're going to start back there because there are some things that uh, I did not uh, have time to say last week, and I feel like they are too important to uh, leave out. And so uh, we had been looking at chapter 4 of Mark. As I have said, Mark really doesn't spend a lot of time on the teachings of Jesus, but this one chapter is uh, one of a few exceptions. And he does here give us actually a total of three parables in chapter 4. And we've discussed the first one. It is a common parable found in other Gospels. It is the parable of the sower and the seed. And then uh, he explains that to his disciples, talks about how important that parable and its message is uh, to them and to us. Uh, and then he comes back and gives a second parable. And, uh, and so we, want us, we, we were looking at this second parable. We were talking about some things, and, and I want us to go back and read it again. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And I'll remind you of a couple of things I said there, and then I want to move forward and talk about something that I think is crucial for every child of God to understand. Uh, so let's, let's read it, and we've got our voice from heaven here again this morning. Amen. So you don't see the reader, but he's here. And uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Let's read. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should trust 
ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the tree should spring up and grow up should spring and grow up and know it not how for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself first the blade then the ear after that the full corn in the ear alright in verse 29 but when the fourth when the fruit is brought forth immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is Yes, and so, and so again, it's a parable about a sower and seed. But he takes a little different angle this time than uh, what he did on the first parable of the sower and the seed. This time he talks about a man casting seed into the ground and he goes to sleep. He does his work and then he goes to sleep. Uh, but he gets up and he checks on the work that he's done and the seed begins to produce. And then he makes this statement that the man who sowed this seed really doesn't understand how it is that the seed produces. He doesn't really comprehend the process uh, of productivity. He doesn't understand uh, the germination of the seed and all that is involved in uh, bringing forth life from what seems to be such a small and lifeless thing. Uh, and, and he says in verse 28, the earth brings forth fruit of herself. And, and, and this is kind of where we got into uh, last week, talking about first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn. We talked about how that, that blade is what gives that farmer hope. He begins to see something happening. And, and it is that little bit of something that gives him hope and, and gives him uh, the drive, if you please, to continue on in his efforts. He doesn't plant it one day and get up the next day and have a stock of corn there. It doesn't work that way. But uh, in fact, he doesn't even get the blade in the first day. But, but if he can continue to work that ground for a while, eventually he sees a little blade and has some hope. Something's going to happen with the efforts that I put forth. And uh, then he says, when the fruit is brought forth, then, then the man will go and reap the harvest. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that we mentioned last week is that there's a lot of debate as to who uh, this parable is actually referring to, or if we're going to make this grammatically correct, to whom the parable refers. Um, there's a lot of debate among the commentators, many of them because the first parable was about Jesus. He said it was. He was the sower of that seed. Then they maintained that the second one must also be about Jesus. My problem with that is verse 27. If you're looking at your Bible there, in verse 27, uh, it says, first of all, that the man who sowed sleeps after he finishes sowing. And we know that the God of heaven never slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121 tells us that. Secondly, it says that the seed springs and grows up, and the man who sowed it does not know how it does. Well, again, I don't think that's an accurate description of Jesus. Jesus understands exactly how it does. He's the one that causes it to do it. He's the one that set the laws in motion that make the seed produce. And in a spiritual sense, when the word of God is sown into hearts, it is the spirit of the Lord that causes that seed to germinate. And so I, I don't think that it's 
I don't think we're right in trying to claim that this one is about Jesus. Now, normally we would say that if the first one was, the second one was. But that, that's obviously not the case because of the content of the parable. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, there are some things that, that I, we then can conclude from this fact that Jesus was not speaking of himself. And that is he was giving this parable to his followers and therefore to us as his followers. There's something he wants us to know about all of this, amen, that we need to hang on to, that we need to get a hold of. Well, praise God. We need to understand, we need to come to grips with some things about the whole process of planting and sowing and reaping. I'm telling you that if we can really understand and believe in the law of the harvest that the Lord established, it will build our faith. Now, none of us, none of us, I, I don't think, uh, I can't imagine that there's anybody here today that does not believe in the law of gravity. We all know that it's in effect, right? We all know that it works. We know it's there. It is a, it's not, it's not just a principle, it's a law. A law that God created and established. God's the one who put that in place. And, and I say it's not just a principle because it doesn't fail. You drop something, it's going to fall. You walk off of a place that's higher than the place you're trying to step to, you're going down. Right? That's the way it works. That's the law of gravity. Well, there is also the law of the harvest. And church, get this, it's a law. It's not just a principle, it's a law. God established it, it is as sure and as definite as the law of gravity. Now, there are four parts to this law of the harvest, and that's what I really want to spend my time on today. I don't know if we'll get any further than this. Maybe we will. I don't know. But, but I definitely want to spend some time talking about the law of the harvest. It is important for us. This church knows. I've, I've, I've really been stressing the last few weeks the importance of us getting out and reaching out for others. But I'm going to tell you one of the things that keeps us from doing it is we don't really believe in or understand, one or the other, the law of the harvest. We get discouraged because we go out and invite somebody and they don't come. And so we get discouraged and think, what's the use? Now I'm going to tell you something. If every door you knocked on produced somebody that came to church, we'd cover this city in just a few days. And we would. If we knew every door we knocked on, somebody was going to come to church and receive the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name. We knew that everybody we invited was going to be saved. Boy, we'd be out there. Nothing could stop us. 
right? So if we're not out there constantly and something is stopping us, it can only be that we really, really don't understand or just don't believe the law of the harvest. That's why I want to stress to you today, it's a law. And we'll say it's a law. It's a law. Now, I'm not talking about men's laws that, you know, it's, it's crazy, and I don't want to get into politics today, but it's, it's just crazy that our government, you know, they pass all kinds of laws and exempt themselves from the laws they pass. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things that could happen to America that really would turn America around is if somehow we could pass a constitutional amendment that Congress must abide by every law it passes. I'm telling you, everything would change. They don't have to live off of Social Security like we do. They don't have the same medical plans we do. You know, all these things that they require of us, they don't live by. And it, it, well, anyhow, I said I wasn't going to get political, so I'm going to get out of that. But, but, but we need to understand that God's law is not like man's law. When God establishes, establishes a law, he's going to honor that law. Remember that it is impossible for God to lie. Right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. By two immutable things, in that it was impossible for God to lie. Remember that? We talked about that. So, so it is impossible for God to lie. When God sets a law in motion, that law will not be broken. Hallelujah. It won't be broken. Now, I will say this. God can supersede it such as the law of gravity. The day's going to come that the trumpet sounds. Gravity has no effect on us anymore. We didn't break the law of gravity. It's still there. But God superseded it. All right? It's kind of like the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. You remember when he passed a law and said, on this day you can kill any Jew you want to kill. And then when they asked him to please rescind it, he said, I can't. You can't rescind laws that are passed. That's the way it worked back there. So what he did was write another law that superseded it. It didn't revoke the first one. They still could kill any Jew on that day, but the Jews could defend themselves and make great gains in so doing. And people knew it wasn't worth their time to try it. Right? The law was still in effect. But the king superseded it. And that's what God does from time to time. There is the law of the natural birth. Conception. And then the process and of, of, of the pregnancy and then the birth. But God did one time supersede that law. And so I'm, I'm just telling you that God doesn't break the laws... He may supersede them. But when he supersedes them, it is with something better. He doesn't revoke the law and make you do without. 
He gives you a better option. Oh, hallelujah. And so the law of the harvest that we want to talk about here for a while, look, God's not going to break that law. It is in effect, and God's going to honor it. And if there's ever a time God doesn't honor it, it's only because he supersedes it. And he gives us something even better in return. Now, I'm telling you, if we can get a hold of this church, it will change us. And it's not only true of witnessing, it's true of everything that we sow into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Whether it is our, our, our efforts in reaching the lost or the money that we give to God. Whatever we sow, the law of the harvest is in effect. All right? So let's talk about the law of the harvest. Four things that we want to talk about here with the law of the harvest. First of all, the first part of this is that we reap if we sow. You're not going to get anything if you don't sow anything. That's the law. So we can't just sit here and say, oh God, fill this church, fill this church, fill this church. If we're not sowing something, the church will never be filled. Psalm 126 and verse 6 says this. Now, just leave that up there for a few minutes. I, I like this word doubtless. Everyone say doubtless. You understand what that means? There is nothing to be doubted here. There is no question about it here. There's no getting around it. There's no denying it. Here's what will, absolutely will have. God has given us a guarantee. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall, what? Shall what? Shall what? Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. What's he going to be doing when he comes? Bringing his sheaves with him. This is what God said. If you'll get out there and plant and you'll weep over that. See, you don't just plant a seed. you got to water that seed. But if you'll get out there and you'll plant the seed and then you'll spend some time talking to God about it and shedding a few tears, God said you'll doubtless come back rejoicing. Oh, hallelujah. You will doubtless come back rejoicing. My monitor just went out. Probably the battery went dead. It's all right. It's all right. I'll just do it the old-fashioned way. I'm just trying to help with my voice this morning, but I'll be all right. Look, you'll doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing. And here's why you're going to be rejoicing. Because you will have a harvest. If you will get out there and plant and weep over it, you will have a harvest. No question about it. This is absolutely doubtless. Hallelujah. It's doubtless. See, part of the problem is we, we, we do get out there and we do invite folks, but we kind of miss that word weepeth. We, it's, it's better now? Oh, I didn't, I don't know. 
What'd you do, turn me off? Oh. Well, let's see what happens here. I, I really think it's probably the battery, but we'll see what happens. Hallelujah. No, I still have nothing. There's nothing there, so. Anyhow, I thought I checked it. That's all right. Um, you'll doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. When you come, there will be a harvest. If you will sow, if you will weep over that sowing, you will have a harvest. It will happen, church. It absolutely will happen. Now, I, I want you to understand that doesn't mean that just because I go over here and knock on Herkimer's door and I weep over Herkimer that Herkimer will be saved because God is not going to force anybody against their will. God will work on Herkimer and he will draw him and he'll do everything he can when I'm in here weeping over him and praying over him and I've been working on him. God will deal with him. But God won't force him. But I tell you what God will do. If Herkimer won't come, God's going to look around and find somebody else. Because he said, doubtless, you're going to have a harvest. You will have a harvest. Well, praise God. I've watched God do it. God has, and you know God sometimes adds people to the church that we haven't even met. But God just sends them our way. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because somebody was out there planting. Somebody was weeping. And God said, I'm going to honor that. And, and listen, we may not know until we get to the other side. But, but we may be surprised when we get to the other side. And God says, I want you to see who came because of you. And you don't even know. You, you didn't know them. You didn't. You didn't know yet. Well, you didn't. You didn't really directly influence them, but it was your planting and your watering that caused God to get that hungry soul and bring them in. Hallelujah. So we're looking for the wrong result. We want to knock Herkimer's door and see Herkimer get saved the next day. And sometimes that happens, but it's not very often. And so we can't get discouraged. You can't get discouraged. Because you don't see immediate results. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I'm just telling you, here is the promise. That if you will go forth and weep, you will have a harvest. It will happen. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says this. In due season we what? We what? He didn't say should and he didn't say might. Look, that word is crucial in the scripture. When you see the word shall, God has put his own integrity on the line. Do we believe that every word is divinely inspired of God? Do we believe that? Do we believe that about this book? 
Do we really believe that it's all God-breathed? If it's God-breathed, then those are not the words of Paul. They're the words of God. And God's the one who said, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You just keep on doing it, saint of God. You keep on doing it. You may not see the result tomorrow. And you may not see the result next week. And you may not see it next month. And you may not see it next year. But you don't grow weary. You just keep on sowing. Because in due season. In due season. Hallelujah. Again, we'll, we'll try to come back to that. But in due season, there is a time to plant, Ecclesiastes tells us, and a time to reap that which was planted. Do you understand they're not the same time? Planting time and harvest time are not the same time. All right, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, but anyhow, we'll come back to that. So, so, so number one, the first part of this law of the harvest is that we reap if we sow. Everyone say we reap if we sow. All right, you don't sow, you don't reap. But if you do sow, you shall reap. In fact, you shall doubtless reap all right second part of this um galatians 6 now let's back up let's read verses 7 and 8 now notice this whatever a man sows that shall he reap read All right, so, so Paul here is talking about another kind of reaping sowing. He's not, he's not here dealing with reaching the loss. He's not here dealing with giving uh, of your finances to God. He's dealing with the way you live your life. And he said the way you live your life, you're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. Everything we do is sowing to one or the other. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap what the flesh has to offer. And that's corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap what the Spirit has to offer. And that's life everlasting. Hallelujah. You see, the second part of this law of the harvest is that we reap what we sow. We not only reap if we sow, but we reap what we sow. God established it from the very beginning that everything reproduces after its own kind. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. And 
And he said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. You don't plant an apple tree and walk out there one day and lo and behold, they're bananas. Right? You don't plant an orange tree and when you go out there to try to pluck the fruit after a period of time, you look up and walnuts. It doesn't work that way. But every tree has built into it that what it produces will produce another one just like it. And this is true of every kind of life. Whether we're talking about plant life, human life, animal life. Right? You, you, you know, you, 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 you've got a couple of dogs and you find out that one of the dogs is expecting. And one day you walk in there and see that that, that mama dog has given birth to a litter of kittens. It doesn't work that way, right? I mean, it just, that's not the way it works. Everything reproduces after its kind. You reap what you sow. Now, now listen, church, there's so much I could, oh, I could, I could probably spend several weeks just on the law of the harvest because there's so many facets to this. We reap what we sow. If I'm rude, and hateful, you know what I'm gonna reap? Rudeness and hatefulness. If I'm kind, and patient, you say, oh, I've tried that, and boy, I sure didn't reap it. Well, I know there are folks that throw their fruit at you. But I'm just telling you this, God is keeping record. And God knows what you have sown. And somewhere down the road, God is going to let those seeds produce. You will reap what you have sown. Look, that's, that, and I believe this. I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. I'm, I'm telling you, I know people that just, they're harsh they're hard. You know, the first little, uh, the first time you, you um, breathe wrong, they're ready just to disfellowship you and they don't want anything to do with you. And, and, and I, know, I know that happens. But here's my philosophy. If I'm going to err, I'd rather err on the side of mercy because someday I may need mercy. I've told this story before. Um, but it bears repeating, there was a time a number of years ago that uh, a man, uh, we, church, it was about time for church to start, and someone came knocking on my door, and, uh, and, and he said, uh, did you see who just came in? I said, well, no, I, I didn't. And, and they said, well, look, that, that man has offended me, and that man has done this, and he's done that. He spread lies on me. He's, and he said, I just want to know something. He was obviously angry. He said, I want to know something. Do I have to forgive him? And my answer surprised him, and I could tell because he was braced. 
He was mad, but he, he was braced and ready for the answer he expected. And I just looked at him very calmly, and I said, no, sir, you don't. And, and he was shocked. He wasn't expecting to hear that. He looked at me funny, and I said, really, you, you don't have to forgive him. I said, as long as you're never going to need forgiveness. Because Jesus clearly said that if you won't forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So as long as you're going to live the rest of your life in absolutely perfect condition and you're never going to mess up and you're never going to make a mistake and you're never going to have to ask God for forgiveness, then no, you absolutely do not have to forgive that man. But if you think there's a possibility that you may want forgiveness, then I'd highly recommend you grant forgiveness because you do reap what you sow. Oh, hallelujah. I know I'm going to need forgiveness and I know I'm going to need mercy. Now look, look, let me, just, let me just say this, let me say this. Forgiveness does not equal trust. If somebody has truly done you wrong, just because you forgive them doesn't mean you can force yourself to trust them again. <laughs> it's just a fact. Trust is not something you can generate. I can't punch a button somewhere and boom, oh, okay, now I trust somebody. It just doesn't work. Trust can only be earned. A person has to earn that trust. Same thing with respect. Respect cannot be demanded. It cannot be demanded. Are you hearing me? There's no way I could stand behind this pulpit and say, you got to respect me. I'm your pastor. You got to respect me. I mean, I could do it. But it's impossible for you to obey that because you can't generate respect. Respect is earned. And I'm going to have to live my life in such a way before you that I earn your respect. Hallelujah. That's just the way it is. I'm going to have to sow seeds of respectfulness. And then I can reap some respect. Oh, praise God. This is just down to earth where the rubber meets the road, but this is... I'm afraid we're not getting enough of this in the apostolic movement today. We're hearing a whole lot of hype and a whole lot of fancy uh, sermons, but we need more down-to-earth, tell it like it is. This is how we live. This is what we need. I've met a whole lot of Pentecostal people that could shout at the drop of a hat, but the next day they have no clue how to live for God. 
And living for God is much more than shouting. And I believe in shouting. I believe in dancing. I believe in worshiping God, all right? We, we, I don't think I've got to qualify that around here. We believe in that. But I also believe not just in worshiping in the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit. In fact, I had a discussion with somebody just the other day. We, we were talking about something. I said, you know, I, I think that, that there is a little bit of clarification that needs to go on in the apostolic movement because we know the scripture teaches that speaking in tongues is the evidence that you have received the Holy Ghost. We, we know that. We believe that. But there are too many people who think that because they talk in tongues once in a while, that's the evidence that everything's right in their life. And unfortunately, it's not. Now, it is the evidence you have received it. But the evidence that you're maintaining it is called the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. If you're not bearing the fruit, everything reproduces after its kind. Right? So if the Spirit's on the inside, it's going to reproduce what that spirit is. Love, joy, peace. That's what the spirit is. And if the spirit is there and it's alive and it's healthy in our lives, it's going to be producing what it is. But the works of the flesh are these. And, and, and all you got to do, you know, it's not about, once you've received the Holy Ghost, it's not about whether or not you're talking in tongues. And we do need talking tongues. I taught how many weeks on that? We do need that. We need that ongoing experience. God does something tremendous through that process. I'm not discounting that, and I'm not saying talk in tongues once and you never do it again. We need that evidence again and again and again because we need to receive it over and over and over and over. We need to stay full of the Holy Ghost. But... That's not the thermometer that gauges our spiritual temperature. The thermometer that gauges our spiritual temperature is the fruit of the Spirit. Everything... Reproduce it. Boy, I'm, I am just really covering all kinds of territory here this morning. I didn't intend to cover. But anyhow, everything reproduces after its kind. So the first part of the law of the harvest is we, re, we, we reap if we sow. Everyone say we reap if we sow. The second part is we reap what we sow. Everyone say we reap what we sow. All right, now, the third part of this, the third part of this, um, James chapter 5 and verse 7. All right, now, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, what does he mean by be patient? What does he mean by be patient? Um... What is patience? 
What, what, how do we define patience? Well, James gives us his definition in this same verse. When he says be patient unto the coming of the Lord, he's not saying just sit down and fold your arms and cross your legs and say, okay, just any day now. We're just going to sit around and wait. Somewhere, sometime, God's going to show up. And I'm, I'm not anxious about it, and I'm not nervous about it, and I'm not worried. He just, he'll come. I, I'm, I'm being patient. No, no, James explained what he means by being patient. He said, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, just go look at the husbandman. Or, that's an old English word for farmer. Go look at the farmer. That farmer goes out and he plants his crop. And he's patient in waiting for the fruit of his labor. But does a farmer go and plant the seed and then go back into the ranch, sit there and just rock for the next three months? Now look, the farmer understands there are some things he cannot control. So he has long patience waiting for the early and the latter rain. The farmer can't control the rain. He can do all the rain dances he wants to do. But he can't create a cloud. But it's not just the rain that's going to make that seed produce. The rain's necessary. The rain's essential. But that's not all. And that farmer doesn't just plant a seed and then go sit inside and say, Okay, God, it's your turn. Let's see some rain now. Do you know, even if it rains, if the farmer doesn't get out there and work that field, he's not going to have a whole lot of a crop. And if he does have one, it's not going to be very healthy. So you know what that farmer's doing in his patience, waiting for the rain, waiting for God to do what he can do? That farmer's out there doing what the farmer can do. That's the kind of patience James is telling us to have. All right? It's this. We know we're going to plant today, but we're not reaping tomorrow. We know that. We know there are some things only God can do. We know that. But in the meantime, we're going to do everything we can. And we know if we do our part and God does his part, in the end, we get a harvest. Right? The farmer's going to get out there and he's going to, he's going to make sure there's no weeds. He's going to make sure the insects stay clear. He's going to keep you know, the cattle out of the corn and all that. Right? He's going to do everything he can do. He doesn't expect God to build his fences to keep the cattle out of the corn. He, doesn't ex he does not expect God to go and spray the crops with insecticides. There are some things that he has the ability to do and he's going to do what he can but he's not going to get frustrated that he's out there working it every day, every day, every day. He's not frustrated that he's not seeing the crop right away. He understands full well this third part that we reap later than we sow. 
We reap later than we sow. We don't reap at the same moment that we sow. It always comes later. And so we understand that. And so we also understand we don't give up until it comes. We keep doing what we can do. But listen to me, church. Let's go back to talking about outreach. Let's go back and, and deal with this again. We understand there's only so much we can do to see the law saved. No man can come except the Spirit draw him. So there's an element of this that only God can do. But there are a whole lot of elements that God put into our hands. And we don't just sit around and wait for God to draw them. We get out there and do what we can do. Hello? We're going to get out there with the scripture and we're going to drive away all of the bugs and the insects of false doctrine by teaching Bible studies and getting them grounded in the word. We're going to go back to our prayer closet and we're going to shed some tears over these people we're working on. We're going to do what we can do. Understanding that it's going to take time, but harvest is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Now, it's not the same for everything. Right? The gestation period for a human and the gestation period for an elephant are not the same. That's right. And so we, we know it may still be the same law. But the amount of time involved varies. And, and so, the, you know, there may be some people that, that we can plant. You know, I, I know that, I know like with watermelon, you know, you don't really have to get out there and dig very deep to get those watermelon seeds. I've seen them start to grow up, you know, just seeds being thrown on the ground. And, and I mean, I, they seem to take root fairly easily and, and uh, don't seem like it's very long until you see some sprouts coming up. And there are other things that just seem like, you know, a, a mushroom can, can blossom overnight. But an oak tree is not going to come up overnight. And if you want a big oak in your yard, you don't get discouraged when you put that sapling there. And the next day, it's still a sapling. In fact, you don't get discouraged when the next year, it's still not much more than a sapling. You know, it takes over 30 years for an oak tree to develop and mature. Over 30 years. Compared to a mushroom that grows overnight. But I'll tell you this. What grows up overnight can be kicked over in a second. But you let that oak tree mature and you're going to have a hard time kicking that over. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. So understand this, church. We reap later than we sow. We've got to give it time. We can't get discouraged because we're not seeing it immediately. 
There are seeds that have been planted. I've talked about this many times. Sometimes I think we forget, but and and I forget that you haven't heard it in a while because I go around, I, I go off and preach, and I tell it wherever I am, but the fact of the matter is the great revival that we are seeing right now in Africa. That seed was planted in 2001. And we didn't see the first fruits until 2013. Now, I'm, I don't mind telling you, I'm not complaining, but I don't mind telling you, it, it took some effort to plant that first seed. It took some money to plant that first seed. It took a couple of sleepless nights getting over there. And getting back home. It took a whole lot of frustration in dealing with opposition. And then to get home and feel like everything you've done has been wasted. There's no real lasting results. For a dozen years. And all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, the phone rings. And somebody says, I was in that meeting in 2001, and I've been trying to find you. Well, that seed, that seed was there the whole time. That seed did not die. I've said it before, but seeds, really, really, seeds, unless something happens to them, generally, that life is built into the seed. And you can hold that seed for a long, long time, and it still is going to produce. In fact, I, uh, I, I've told before that I, I read an article, and I, I really need to go and see if I can find it somewhere. It's been so, in fact, it was right after I got here, so it was about 1996, 97, somewhere in there, that I read this article about some archaeologists that found, I think it was in ancient Egypt, they found a storeroom that had all kinds of seeds in it. And they took some of those seeds and planted them. Now these seeds they found to be several thousand years old. But they took the seeds and planted them and the seeds began to produce. That's amazing to me. Life is just in that seed. It's there. And over thousands of years it didn't die. But when the right circumstances came along, the seed produced. Can I tell you this, saint of God? There may be seeds you plant that you may not even see. If the Lord tarries his coming, there may be people who come to God because of some seed you planted that didn't even come while you were yet alive. Well, hallelujah. There may be something you have done that planted a seed in somebody's heart that they end up coming to God after you're long gone and you never know it on this side of glory. But this much we know, we plant, I mean, we reap later than we sow. So you don't get discouraged. You don't get discouraged. You go out 
You go this afternoon, you go find a restaurant, you invite some waitress to, to come to church, you come back tonight, and, and she may even say, oh, I'll be there, I've been looking for a church. I get off at 3 o'clock today, I'm going to be there, I'm coming tonight. And you walk in all excited, and she's nowhere to be found. You don't get discouraged. I planted a seed today. I'm going to water that seed with my tears, and God promised me a harvest. If it's not her, somebody else is coming. Come on, saints of God, get a hold of this today. Get a hold of this today. It's going to come later. I said a while ago, the time to plant and the time to reap are not the same time. Planting season and harvest season come months apart. Oh, hallelujah. And so we just get out there and plant. And I'm telling you, here's what you ought to be doing with every seed you plant. You ought to just mark it down somewhere. Keep your little notebook or put it on your, your, your phone or something. Just put a little hashtag down somewhere. There's a seed I planted. There's a seed I planted. Now, I've never said this before, but I'm feeling this this morning, all right? And I wish somebody would take me up on it. I wish somebody would take me up on it. Beginning today, everybody you invite... All I want you to do is just put a little hashtag somewhere. Just, or not hashtag, hash mark. Hashtag something else in it. Boy, I've got to get caught up to today's technology. Hashtag harvest. How about that? <laughs> put a little hash mark. Put, put, you know, just, just, put a, just put a little, a, a little line there. Put a little line there. And, and, and then every time, every time you leave a business card or you invite somebody, you talk to somebody about God, just put another little mark there. And I'm going to tell you what you ought to do. The next time that, you know, after several days of this, then you go into prayer, you just pull that out and say, hey, God, I just want to show you something. I just want to remind you I've planted these seeds, and your word says, so I'm here today to weep over these seeds because your word said, I'll doubtless come again with rejoicing. You said it, God. Oh, I don't know how much time I've got. My wife can testify to the fact that uh, several years ago, several years ago, back when I was still mean, you know, Never. My wife said I was never mean. Honey, you're in church now. No, no. I, I think I've, I've learned a little bit smoother way to do things through the years, all right? Maybe I should say it that way. You know, God's knocked some rough edges off. But, but several years ago, I really got disturbed because I felt like I'm preaching things, preaching things, preaching things, and people just aren't doing it. They're saying amen, but they're not doing it. So one day, I thought, I'm going to remedy this. I'm going to fix this. No, I really did fix it. I really did. But here's what I did. I, 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 got, I had been preaching, 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 outreach, 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 and nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing anything. So one Wednesday night, I came in, and I said, you know, church, I said, I've been preaching that you need to be inviting people to church, and you need to be making phone calls, and you need to be, you need to be praying regularly, you need to be reading your Bible regularly. And... Uh, I said, you know, you're, you're telling me amen, but I'm just not sure you're doing it. I said, i tell you what I want to do. I, I just want to ask tonight. Everybody that's invited someone to church this week, I want you to stand. 
And I don't think there were any more people standing that night than what's standing right now. And I didn't ask you that question, but I'm saying, I'm just saying, I don't think anybody stood up that night. So now I've preached this and preached this and preached this. And, and, and I believe you're good people. I believe you intend to do it. But you're just not ever getting around to doing what you intended to do. So how many of you have invited somebody to church in the last two weeks? And, and I said, um, okay. All right. How many of you have invited someone to go out to eat with you? Are they in the church or out of church? Well, then a bunch of people stood. So, okay, all right. Well, you don't have a problem making invitations then, just invitations to church. So, you know, I've asked you to pray every day. How many of you have prayed every day? I may have even asked them an amount of time. How many of you prayed at least 30 minutes every day? Very few. How many of you prayed at all every day without missing every day? Not very many. I said, okay, how many of you have called a friend every day? So, well, you don't have problems talking. It's just talking to God, right? And so I went through all of this, and I said, now, I asked you those questions tonight and caught you totally off guard. Next Wednesday night, I'm asking you the same questions. The next Wednesday night, when I said, how many of you invited somebody to church this week? People stood up all over the house. You know what the difference was? They knew I was going to ask. How many of you have prayed sometime every day? Oh, yeah, they stood up. How many of you read your Bible at least sometime? I mean, everybody stood up. Yeah, well, it's because, it's because you knew the question was coming. And really, honestly, the point of all that, I then talked to them about accountability. There's something about it when you become accountable to someone that it changes everything. It really does. Accountability changes everything. And, and so I said, here's what we're going to do for a while. I'm gonna, I've got some forms here, and I want everybody that's in leadership in this church to fill out these forms every week. I want you to fill out the form. How many people did you invite this week? How many chapters in your Bible did you read this week? How, how much time did you spend in prayer this week? And just, you fill out these forms. And I said, now, I know that that sounds harsh, but I tell you, I said, I'm going to do something with this. I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to collect them on Sunday night. And Monday morning when I come to the church and I pray, I'm pulling those forms out and I'm going to remind God, Lord, there have been this many people invited to this church this week. You promised if we would plant that we would also reap. And I'll tell you, without fail, every Monday morning, I hold those numbers up before God. And you know what happened? Things started changing. And that small congregation began to explode with growth because people got a hold of this. <sighs> Hallelujah. Something happens when we really start. But, but look, I do believe that part of it was taking those. I know God knows it. But if nothing else, it was a faith builder for me. That I'm not just saying, God, you know people have been invited this week when I really don't know if anybody has or not. But I have solid numbers in front of me right now. And I can say, God, there were 62 people invited to church this week alone. Lord, you made a promise to us, and you can't lie. And 
And so I'm not asking you to fill out forms, but this is why I'm telling you, somebody, I hope somebody today will do what I'm asking to do, that you'll just start whatever, carrying your phone or your iPad or whatever, and every time you invite somebody to church, you mark it down. And then at least once a week, go to God, pull those numbers out and say, here it is, God. See this? You have made a promise to us in your word, and you can't lie. Now, look, I know God knows all that, but I'm telling you, it builds your faith. It builds your faith. You've got something to show God. And you know God can't lie. And so then what happens is you start coming to church looking around. Well, I wonder if it's going to be tonight. I wonder if somebody's coming in tonight. God knows I've done it and he promised. I'm going to reap. I'm going to reap. I'm going to reap. God made me a promise and God can't lie. And I don't know when they're coming through those doors. And then some stranger walks in and before the service is over, they're in the altar and they're talking in tongues. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go put a little check mark on that same page. You say, well, how do I know it's mine? Doesn't matter. You had a part in it because you did some planting. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, I'm t- if I find somebody and I sit down and teach them a Bible study and I bring them to church and I pray them through, but Brother Jerry's been out there knocking doors and he's been talking to people and he hadn't seen anybody come. I'm here to tell you, that person that prayed through, he gets a star just as quickly as I do because he's been planting seeds. And God is giving the crop not to me, but to us. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, saint of God. I'm telling you, if we could get a hold of this, It will revolutionize our walk with God. It'll revolutionize this church. It's not going to be that long until the seats are going to be filled because we're going to be out there doing something and we're keeping track of what we're doing. You know what else it'll do to you, really? I mean, it it becomes your system of accountability. Because sometimes you think, well, I know I've invited somebody, but you get to look at that, oh, my word, it's been... Three weeks. And you didn't realize that much time had passed. Right? So, it, it, it creates your own little sense of accountability there. And, and you get out there and you, you start showing, I, I can do this, I can do this. And God's going to do his part. God's going to do his part. All right, let me, let me try to wind this down. So the first part is we reap if we sow. Everyone say that again. We reap if we sow. Second, we reap what we sow. Let's say that. The third part is is that we reap later than we sow. Let's say that. Okay. Now for the fourth part. Mark chapter 4 is where we've been teaching and some weeks ago we dealt with this parable but I want to show you something now from this parable go back and grab it that that I want you to see I want to remind you of I dealt with it then but I want to bring it into this context in Mark chapter 4 and verse 8 
Here's what he says. All right, now, here's what I want you to see. He planted seed, and some seed brought forth 30-fold. And some seed brought forth 60-fold. And some seed brought forth 100-fold. Do you know there was not one seed there that only brought forth one-fold? Right. Not one. Not one. See, the, the fourth and final part of this law of the harvest is simply this. We reap more than we sow. God multiplies our efforts. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Look, and I went through this. I went through this part of it. I know when I taught on it several weeks ago, but but let me just let me just freshen your memory here for just a moment. Let, let, let's consider this. If if he took if he took uh, um, hundred and twenty seeds, then then the result. If we just break that, if we break that evenly. Um. Now that's, let me, let me, because this is comparing to the fact that, that three-fourths, in that, in that parable, in that parable, three-fourths of what he sowed did not produce. Right? Right? I mean, there are three kinds of ground. In the first parable of Mark chapter 4, not the one we're dealing with now, the first parable of Mark chapter 4, there were four kinds of ground. And the first three, the stony ground, the thorny ground, the wayside, didn't produce lasting results. Okay, so if he, if, if he divided his seed evenly among these four types of ground, and he's got 120 seeds here, then he's putting 30 seeds per plot of ground. Everybody's with me. This is not new math. This is just simple math. Got 120 divided among four plots, 30 seeds per plot. The first one, he's, he's got stony ground. He's got thorny ground. He's got wayside ground. So 30, 30, 30. He's got 90 seeds out of the 120 that produced zero. You know, some of them produced, but they didn't last. Everybody's with me. 90 out of his 120 seeds, really, all of them produced. It's just that not all of, the, not all of it was lasting productivity. But in that fourth and final plot of ground, he only planted 30 seeds. If we start with 120, we're dividing evenly. Everybody's with me. This is, this is all just trying to help you get a picture of what happens here. If it's all divided evenly, then he's got 30 seeds left out of 120. 90, there's nothing lasting. Now, they all produced. And, and again, church, we see this, right? We see people come in that just don't last. It happens. It happened in the parable when Jesus was the sower. Okay? So, so it's just, it's a fact of, of the kingdom. 90 out of 120 seem to be wasted, but that last group of 30 seeds, again, if we divide them evenly, we've got three kinds of productivity here. So, so out of those 30, we've got, 
we've got 10, 10, and 10 that produce. 10 of them produced 30-fold. 10 of them produced 60-fold, and 10 of them produced 100-fold. Now let's talk about what that means. If 10 produced 30-fold, then those 10 produced 300 crops. If 10 produced 60-fold, those 10 produced 600 crops. And if 10 produced 100-fold, then those 10 produced 1,000 crops. He started with 120 seeds. 90 of them produced no lasting crop. But the last 30 produced 1,900 crops. That's why you don't get discouraged. That's why you don't get discouraged. All right, they came to church. They didn't stay. But you don't get discouraged because somewhere is going to be that 30-fold seed. Somewhere is going to be that 60-fold seed. Somewhere is going to be that 100-fold seed. And you know what I've seen happen? I've seen people walk in the church, not really be interested, and then meet some other sinner who says, I'm looking for a church. They say, well, you know, I don't go there, but you want to find a place where the Spirit of God is? I can tell you where to go. You don't think you're going to get credit for that in glory? Where'd that original seed come from? You planted it. Oh, hallelujah. Listen to me, saints of God. If we'll get out there and do what God wants us to do, we will reap if we sow. We will reap what we sow. We're going to reap later than we sow, but we're going to reap more than we sow. He only started with 120 seeds, but he ended up with 1,900 plants. And I got a feeling any farmer is going to start with more than 120 seeds. I just tried to make it simple, all right? I just tried to make it simple. He's going to start with more than 120. But I'm just telling you, if that was the numbers and everything's divided evenly, it may look like 90 of it's wasted before things finally started to produce. And isn't it interesting the way he told the parable? It is to me that he didn't plant all four at the same time. And he's got one over here that's really not doing much, but this one, at least he's seen some progress. This one over here is not doing much, but this one, he's seen some. It didn't look like it did that. The way he told the parable, he went and planted, it produced, and then didn't last. He planted again, it produced, didn't last. Planted again, it produced, didn't last. But finally, he struck on some ground that started producing. And once it started producing, it was worth everything that he had been up to, uh, that he had done up to that point. I'm saying, saints of God, get out there and do what God's called us to do. Get out there and invite people. Get out there and encourage folks to come. Do what you can do. Plant the seed. Spend some time praying over that seed. And then stand back and watch how God multiplies it. I doubt seriously... And anybody foresaw 
when, when this 11-year-old boy walked into a Pentecostal church, I doubt anybody foresaw what the result of that was going to be. That little church at that time was running about 15 people. This was in a town of, of less than 800 population. All right, 15 people when I started going. And look, I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm just telling you, God, God began to bring results. And here I was, 11 years old, didn't know anything, didn't know, didn't know the first thing about the Bible or God. But somebody planted a seed. And when it started producing, here comes my brother. Here comes my dad, my mom, my other brother, my grandmother, cousins, aunts. A town of 700, it wasn't long. We were running over 100. That's one-seventh of the city's population. Well... I can guarantee you nobody foresaw that with an 11-year-old boy. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Jaheem's downstairs helping with the puppets, but I'm going to tell you something. Stand up, Jerome. Stand up. Stand up. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that many years ago. Some of you had this boy in Sunday school. And uh, there wasn't anybody. You know you used to cause some problems. Did you know that? You didn't know that? Oh, well, maybe it was all your brother. You were the good one. Okay, it was all Jaheim. All right. No. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something happened. And some Sunday school teachers put something in his heart. And they're gone for a while. And we don't see him. But after a few years, him and his brother come walking back in. How old are you now? 16? 16. And Jaheem is 15. He's downstairs. You know, he's, he has helped run our sound system. Jaheem's been playing the drums. I'm going to tell you, Sunday school teachers didn't know when they were planting those seeds several years ago what was going to happen and this story's not over yet because there's a mama that right now is backslid. But she's not going to stay that way. And there's a sister that right now is backslid, but she's not going to stay that way. And God's going to use these young men. You hear me? God's going to use these young men. I feel what I'm telling you right now. That seed that was planted in this heart, the day's coming when we're going to see 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. You hang in there, son, and I don't care what anybody says about you. I don't care. I don't care how much they throw at you. I'm telling you, God sees good ground right there. And God is going to pull you out of everything you've had to go through as a boy. And God's got big things for your life.
Hallelujah. I'm telling you, saints of God, we don't know. You just get out there and plant. You just get out there and plant. I don't think that the sower knew what was thorny ground and what was wayside and what. I don't think he knew that. He just went out there planting. He just went planting. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I don't know what's going to be the result, but there will be a result. So you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. That person that, you know, that, that looks like, boy, I don't, I don't even know if I even want to get around them. I, I don't know if I want to even try to, well, oh, listen, you don't know what kind of ground there might be right there. Hallelujah. You remember the, 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 the parable of the, oh, my time's up. You better hurry up and get up here. Huh? The parable of the treasure hid in the field. And the man went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Let me tell you something. I don't believe for one minute that the owner of that field knew that treasure was there. He wouldn't have sold it. If that treasure wasn't worth more than everything the buyer owned, then he wouldn't have sold all that he had to buy the field. Obviously, that treasure was really worth something. And I'll guarantee the seller had no clue what was there. And he probably kicked himself to the day he died when he looked out there and saw that big, huge mansion sprawling out across that land. You know, he's probably laughing all the way to the bank because here's a field. Evidently, there's just not much in that field. You see, what's, this guy's buying a piece of land. ain't going to do anything. And next thing you know, the guy's got contractors out there, and they're, they're building this sprawling mansion. And, and the seller's saying, wait a minute, what? How'd that happen? Because he didn't realize the value of what was in that field. And you don't know the value of the soul that you plant a seed in and what they might produce down the road. Everybody's scared to death, Saul of Tarsus. Scared to death of him. Nobody wants to witness to Saul. Because the minute you tell him who you are, it's off to jail you go, or worse. In fact, when God himself spoke to Ananias, he said, uh-uh. Oh, no, Lord. Find somebody else. I know about Saul. Look, this is in your Bible. Even after his conversion, he came to Jerusalem to the church, and the church said, uh-uh, we don't believe him. He's a spy. He's here to destroy us. He's here to infiltrate us, to find out our secrets. We don't want him here. Read it for yourself. Those are not the words they use, but that's the story that's there. But here comes Barnabas. And Barnabas said, no, no, brethren. Right here is a treasure. You don't realize what God just gave us. Don't throw him away. Don't you reject him. You don't know what God just gave the church.
and the greatest revival recorded in the scriptures came at the hands of a man that the one who baptized him didn't even want to talk to him. And the church didn't want to accept him. Hello? I'm telling you the truth. That's a part of the story we don't hear very often, but it's true. Read it. I'm thankful for Paul's investment in the church. I'm thankful for his concern and compassion for the non-Jewish people. And I'm thankful for every letter God inspired him to write. Do you understand? If God had not been able to persuade Ananias, or if Barnabas had not been able to persuade the church, do you understand what we would have lost? Because, well, those of you that were in Lynn Valley the other night, I can say this and you'll understand what I'm saying. But perception is everything. And Ananias perceived Saul one way and the church perceived Saul one way. And, but God had a totally different perception. I'm glad God sees things differently than men do. I'm telling you, if, if, if things were left up to the way men see things, I probably wouldn't be in church today. But I'm glad God sees things differently. I'm glad God knows how to, as one songwriter said, to look beyond my fault and see my needs. Or as another one said, he saw not what I was, but he saw what I could be. Anybody thankful for that today? Anybody thankful for that today? Now let me tell you, there's a whole lot more out there that God's not looking at what they are at this moment, but God's looking at what they're going to become. And God sees some more Saul's of Tarsus that he wants to turn into a Paul. Oh. And you know how that's going to happen? It's going to happen because somebody plants a seed. Stephen, Stephen, I don't think, knew he was planting a seed that day. Stephen was a victim of circumstance. Stephen was just out there preaching and the people turned on him. Decided right then and there to put him to death. And all Stephen's doing is just praying to God, Lord, lay not this into their charge. He's just praying for them. He's not out there knocking a door. He's just out there praying for him. And Saul had witnessed many other deaths. But this one, this one, Stephen planted a seed.
Bible says and Saul Saul was affected by that death he was there consenting to it but he couldn't get away from it because from that moment until he was knocked down on the Damascus road Jesus said it's really hard for you to kick against those pricks what pricks the pricks of conviction that have been in your heart ever since Stephen planted that seed. Stephen didn't get to see the results of it. There it is again. Stephen didn't live to see the results. But what results there were. Saint of God, the law of the harvest is just that. It's a law. Let's stand. We got, I've got to close. I'm way beyond my time. I've got to close. Used to be everybody was worried about their roast burning. Now it's just beating the lines at the restaurants, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you, we don't know. That person that, that we write off may be the very person that turns this city upside down. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord, can we? Let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Praise God. <laughs>